Welcome to issue 10 of the Attention Span Newsletter by me, Janan Marashtigil. I'm a writer, a literary translator, an artist and a curator of cultural programs based in Amsterdam. Every other week since spring 2023 and we are in issue 10, I still cannot believe it. Yes, for 10 past issues, I've been taking the time to reflect and offer a glimpse of how I see and feel the world through the lens of culture, art, translation, poetry and literature. Each issue has a short essay or some thoughts, a nerdy look at translation, a page from one of my notebooks and a list of things to read, watch or listen to. For those of you who prefer to hear my voice and the audio experience, I am creating this podcast version. And you can also support my work via Patreon if you wish to do so and if you have the means, it helps me a great deal. For only 3 euros a month via Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash the attention span. Thank you very much for your presence and your attention. The essay on curating literary programs. Why do we want to experience literature outside of a book? Literature, whether it's fiction, non-fiction, poetry, graphic novels, that is, anything printed as a book or designed as an e-book or an audiobook, is meant to be read or listened to, usually on our own and, if possible, away from distractions. Reading is a solitary act. But for many of us, this solitude is followed by a yearning to share the stories that moved us with others. We organize book clubs, we post on social media, we send messages to our friends about that book they must read too. And many times, we also want to meet the writers of these books and hear more about how they think about the world, to dive deeper into the themes they tackle in their fiction or non-fiction. We want to know why it matters to them, because it matters to us. We want to know about their process and get behind the scenes of their writing. We love literature. We love culture. So it's in our nature to be curious about who makes it and why. In one of her letters, published in Fratumaglia, translated by Anne Goldstein, talking about keeping her identity secret, Elena Ferrante writes, I quote, I wrote my book to free myself from it, not to be its prisoner, end quote. Well, this is a valid point if you look at how much is expected from writers nowadays, from media appearances to social media presence and constant performances at festivals and cultural venues. One of my passions is inviting writers on a performative space I curate. And yet, I can understand and respect Ferrante's view, especially if we placed her discourse inside today's media-savvy world where the success, in the capitalist sense, of a book is determined by how much media attention it gets. The irony of me using a best-selling author like Ferrante to illustrate this point is not lost on me. But this paradox is intriguing. And it is good to remember she has been published in Italy since the early 90s and had chosen to remain anonymous from the very start. Throughout the collection of letters, Ferrante asks very interesting questions about the role of media in literary landscapes. And... 
even discusses how literature is often also politicized, and this is a subject for another essay. I have never read any of Ferrante's novels, so I cannot tell you whether I like her fiction or not, but I am fascinated by the mind and depth of thinking she shares throughout these archives, going back as far as 1991. In a letter on media hierarchies, she writes, and I quote, Is a book from the media point of view, above all, the name of the person who writes it? Is the fame of the author, or rather the author personality who takes the stage thanks to the media, a crucial support for the book? Isn't it newsworthy for the cultural pages that a good book has been published? Is it newsworthy instead that a name able to say something to editorial offices is on the cover of some book or other? End quote. A famous author on a stage will attract a general audience and therefore create a ticket or book sales. It is a common understanding of what literary programming has become in this challenging economic and political context, where government funding of the arts and libraries has been drastically cut for more than a decade, sometimes even longer, in many Western European countries. This has had damaging effect on everyone involved in literature and culture. And where funding exists, the people who have started working in these industries because they have an artistic vision have been often pushed to turn into entrepreneurs. It is no longer about the collective experience, but about how many tickets we can sell. And we fall into the trap of believing that readers only want what the media dictates they should like. In another interview, Ferrante writes, and I quote, I come out into the open every time I publish something, even just the answers in this interview of yours. It seems to me sufficient. Otherwise, I don't know what there is to discover. Words that become public belong to everyone. That one attributes them to this person or that is their fate. On the other hand, doesn't someone who reads one of my books make space in his own vocabulary for my words? Doesn't he appropriate them? If necessary, doesn't he reuse them? Books belong to those who have written them only when their cycle is complete and no one reads them anymore. End quote. And this is the part that interests me as a curator of literary programs, the essence of why I think the collective experience of literature matters. Before being a curator, I'm a reader. I interpret works of literature inside a socio-economic, cultural and political context where I access them, in the moment I engage with them. Then there's the extra layer of my own biography, my own vocabulary, as Ferrante puts it. The programs I curate reflect this subjectivity and passion. I use the term program purposefully, as it includes a variety of definition, from activity to broadcasting, which suits how I look at how I curate literature for different spaces connected with an audience. And most importantly, it etymologically fits what I aim to do. The word comes via late Latin from Greek programma, from prographein, write publicly, from pro, before, plus graphene, right. It's beautiful, isn't it? So, 
Curating literary programs, to me, is all about interpreting and feeling works of literature and the discourses of their authors on the public sphere, and creating spaces where a collective experience is possible. Since I first started to do this at the Comics Festival I co-created in Istanbul, to my time at the Free Word Center in London, where I thought of ways of link literary translation and freedom of expression, to Europalia in Belgium, where I focused on contemporary writers from Turkey, and since 2018 at Read My World International Festival, and more recently at SLA, the Foundation for Literary Activities in Amsterdam. The first question to me is never how famous an author is. Nowadays, this is such an irrelevant point of view as someone or some work can be well known by one group of people and not at all by another. The subjectivity of fame is created by a system that keeps feeding itself. And any media that cares about culture and literary criticism should try to answer the questions Ferrante asks in the quote I share at the start of this essay. What I seek when I bring writers, artists, poets or musicians together is first and foremost connection. The format of how this happens can change depending on a variety of factors, from the location, the budget to the theme. Every program requires careful thinking about how the makers will be able to feel free and use the stage on their own terms and how the audience can receive it. We may live in a world that wants us to believe fame and ego are what people are after when they buy a ticket to a literary event, but in its essence, most of us cares about a collective experience, offering the possibility to connect with others, with ourselves, and with literature. I was recently reminded of the etymology of the word curator, from Latin curator, one who has care of a thing, from curare, to take care of. The role of a curator is to care. I would also add to trust. In our own vision, in the writers we invite to take on the stage and in the readers. Why do I want to experience literature outside of a book? I want a connection built on trust, curiosity and care, which will guide us towards a collective experience worthy of the literature we read in our solitude. All the citations in this essay are from Elena Ferrante's book Franto Maglia, A Writer's Journey, translated by Anne Goldstein, published in 2016 by Europa Editions, and I would link to it in the show notes. On translation. Yes, welcome back inside my translator's brain. This issue I am sharing one line from a poem by Karin Karakashli. Yes, again, Karin. And together with a literal translation with some notes. The line is, Yaren olursun şehirli gecelerde. So, you will be your own wound on night filled with cities. Okay, it's very literal. Um, Şehirli uh, also sounds like sihirli, which means secret in Turkish. So 
Maybe, maybe there's a play here with city nights where she tries to also make us think of secret nights, nights filled with secrets. Uh, but yeah, I may be over-interpreting as well. And another note on the word yare, which uh, with the suffix n, yaren, means your yare. The word yare comes from Persian and means wound. But it is used when the wound is on the heart. So it's not a physical wound. And it's rather used to describe a spiritual wound that opened in the heart. <laughs> Aren't we all melodramatic folks? <laughs> and I have one more note here um, on using Persian versus Farsi when talking about the language. I had this conversation with Iranian friends and they did confirm to me that in English, the language is called Persian. Farsi is how it is said in Persian. Using Farsi when speaking English would be like saying Netherlands instead of Dutch, Francais instead of French, Turkche instead of Turkish. For example, you'd say, I speak Netherlands. I learn Francais. I speak Turkche with my mother. Now, listening, watching, reading. Listen, uh, the Serpentine podcast on intimacies. It considers many forms, ideas, and understandings of intimacy. Host Gaylene Gould gathers perspectives from artists, designers, writers, thinkers, and others on how we can rekindle trust and open ourselves up to new possibilities for connection. And I was particularly touched by a reminder in the first episode of the etymology of the word curate, which, is in, which in its essence uh, means to care, as I have mentioned already in my essay earlier. I will, of course, link to it in the show notes. Something to read? Culture Strike, Art and Museums in an Age of Protest by Laura Rajkovic. Since I'm talking about curating in this issue, I'm sharing this book in which Rajkovic, a former director of the Queen's Museum in New York, shows how art museums arose as colonial institutions bearing an ideology of neutrality that masks their role in upholding capitalist values. And she suggests how museums can be reinvented to serve better public ends. There are lots of US-specific cases, but most of the book can also speak to many of us working in different geographical and political contexts. It spoke to my vision as a curator of literary programs on many levels. I'll also link to the book in the show notes. And something to watch, a few videos actually. Dichter bei unser Kolonial Erfenis, closer uh, to our colonial heritage. And the videos are all in Dutch, but they all have English subtitles. Dichter bei unser Kolonial Erfenis is a program series uh, featuring poets, writers, and spoken word artists accompanying the exhibition uh, by the same name on show at the Trope Museum in Amsterdam. They offer powerful and poignant reflections uh, on, refle on colonial heritage and how colonialism affects our bodies, hearts, minds, relationships, life and work, how this heritage belongs to all of us. I had the immense pleasure and honor to host one of the conversations after a performance by one of the poets, Nisrin Barki, 
and I have also translated the poems and performances of Nisrin and Joshua Timisela for these videos, made by the amazing Beyond Walls Collective in partnership with the Tropa Museum and Read My World. I will also link to the videos in the show notes. Last but not least, a page from one of my notebooks. This one is called A Definition of Translation, Imperfect Symmetry from 2019. It's an open spread in a sketchbook notebook with yellow pages, lined yellow pages. And what I did, I have just collaged black stripes of paper. On the left side, it's horizontal. On the right side is vertical. And on top of the stripes, I've put uh, two petals of flowers I had dried and they're a bit like orangey color. I'm trying to show, yeah, this is also a way of translating. You have the black stripes, you have the same, you know, the yellow background, you have the two petals of flowers, but the stripes are cut differently, they are put there differently, the, the flowers, the petals have different shapes. So when you move from one language to another, there will always be differences and it's okay. You can still feel the emotion. So this is a bit what I'm trying to do with these explorations around definition of translation. Thank you so much for listening. Please feel free to share this podcast and the newsletter with your friends on your social media and more. The link to su subscribe to the newsletter is the attentionspan.com slash subscribe. I'm very, very thankful that you're here. It's been 10 issues, episode 10. We're here. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your time and attention.